Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We had to. What? Been on this rock long enough to realize they ain't in the business of shooting each other. We did it. Our team. He's smiling? Damn right I'm smiling. So we just got our ticket out of here. It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recap Season 3, Episode 4, Every Man for Himself, the James Sawyer Ford flashback for Season 3, and the last Sawyer episode we're going to get until Season 5's LaFleur. On top of all of that, uh, hi, I'm Josh Wiggler, and I'm joined here by Mike Bloom, whose favorite episode of Lost is Every Man for Himself. No, 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 no. Do not put words in my mouth, nor a wooden rod to bite down on as you plunge a syringe into my chest, Josh. It is not... My favorite episode of Lost. I'm just trying to make your heart explode at the start of this thing. Well, I'm full of caffeine at this point from having a one-year-old, so honestly, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if I'm on the precipice, and it all it takes is an, a belligerent Danny Pickett to just send me over the edge. I was drinking coffee at 7.20 p.m. last night. What is wrong with you? I had, like, a little coffee left, and I was like, I could pour it out or I could drink it, and I drank it. And did that affect your sleeping habits whatsoever? I went to bed at one o'clock. I've been really deep into Animal Crossing, working on, I've talked about this before, if not on this podcast, across many podcasts. I've been playing Animal Crossing, and my island on Animal Crossing for the Nintendo Switch is a sequel to Lost. So mm-hmm. the premise is that the island that I've built takes place after Lost. So once Hurley's reign has started, and I've gone hog wild, I've started creating new characters because uh, you can create multiple avatars on your Switch. So before I was just playing as me, but I've now created characters for, for Clementine. Oh! Um, Clementine lives on my island Is there a nice account now. with 10 million bells in her name? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, Gion has moved to my island. She's tending to uh, uh, Bopo Park. Uh, <laughs> named after Bopo. Is, the, it, I was say, is that like Hachi, where there's like a statue of the dearly departed bopo or one of bopo's clones there is a there is a uh, so kk slider is the dog who plays guitar that comes to your island and there's a picture of kk slider in bopo park so the the implication is that is just a tribute to all of the great dogs of of lost because there's no vincent representation oh there's some vincent representation there is uh jack's face is uh embedded in the ground in a bamboo forest somewhere on the island and there's like a little tiny dog creature that is sitting next to him uh so that is uh, 
uh, in my head canon, a stuffed animal in tribute to Vincent. No, I'm assuming um, at some point when we're going to take a tour of this island, you're going to be the Ben Linus and essentially take mm-hmm. us to the final place, which is the top of a cliff, being mm-hmm. like, hey, this is actually an entirely different island. My island's yes. over there. Yeah, that's also part of the headcanon is that when the earthquake happens at the end of Lost, when the, 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 the core of the island is unplugged and everything goes haywire, there's like a splinter island that's created. And this is, uh, I've been placed in charge of that island to get it up to, to ship shape. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really, really, really wonderful. I don't really know how we got here. It's the caffeine. Yeah. I was staying up until 1 a.m. doing this. Yeah. I also created a character whose name is four question marks. And by day he runs around looking like Hurley and at night he's the tightest well over man in black so the implication Whoa. there is I, I don't think it looks good for Hurley I, basically uh, I'm playing action figures on my Nintendo Switch and I've been playing Lost 2 uh, and this is what I've been doing in my free time uh, and it's been a blast listen it's fine we're, we're all sort of trapped in our cages in a manner of speaking because I hope <laughs> yeah. everyone's staying home and this is how I get out of my cage yeah, right? and you're, this and you're is not doing I- anything you know nearly <laughs> as destructive as either what's done to Sawyer or Kate you know being a bit of a tease with coming out of the cage and then getting back into the cage or having to shamelessly uh, change clothing while Sawyer for some reason wants to give himself a boner to try to kill himself. (laughs) Well, he can't help himself. Uh, But yeah, if you want to visit my lost island, uh, slide into those Instagram DMs at Round Howard or hit up Mementis on Twitter at Round Howard. Oh, I love that place. If you're an Animal Crossing player, and uh, I'll give you my dream code at the very least, so you can just go and check it out at your leisure. Uh, Mike, when I said that Every Man for Himself is your favorite episode of Lost, uh, I know that that was an exaggeration, but I also do know that for a long time you have said that you have a story to tell about Every Man for Himself. I forget exactly when we we first uh, arrived at that news, but we had noted that Every Man for Himself was going to be coming out roughly one year after the launch of Down the Hatch, and here we are satisfying that this podcast dropping on August 12th, just a couple of days before we release our one-year anniversary special on 815, the very special date in Lost Lore. Uh, that podcast coming your way 815. We're gonna be looking back at a year of coverage, feedback that you guys have sent in. Make sure that you do that down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Although by the time you're listening to this, way too late to send that feedback in. So hopefully you've already done it. Yeah, hopefully but there's Mike, some I'm... Desmonds right now, uh, knowing yeah. we're recording a podcast <laughs> in the future and realizing I have to send in feedback now, taking preventative measures. Yeah, if you want to send in feedback about okay so i've i've built uh i've built geon i've built clementine i've built somebody who's clearly a, a new smoke monster and there's a lot of mystery and intrigue around him on my island and he lives in a in a house in the jungle that is subterranean that it's very hard to access are there any other lost characters that i should put on considering that this is a lost sequel at me slide into down the hatch at posterrecaps.com i'd love to know um but mike tell us the tale of every man for himself and how it relates to the life of one young Michael Bloom. I mean, there's not really a story uh, associated with it as much as something like The Hunting Party did. It just contains a line that I really love that, spoiler alert, we will get into. I don't mean to have this, you know, lord over the episode as, oh my god, what's going to be their favorite line? Because I will guarantee you are going to find out and you will be extremely disappointed. That is a guarantee. (laughs) Much like the first batch of episodes in season three, there has been a buttload of hype and a mere dingleberry of actual (laughs) delivery. So I'm, I'm excited to get into it. You know, I think... 
bouncing off of the nothing burger of the glass ballerina and I don't know the the bad salad that was further instructions. I was intrigued to see going into this because I think this is another one of those episodes that you sort of forget what happens in it. It's yes. sort of mixed yes. in with this group of six episodes that are regarded as some of the lowest in lost history. I'd say the flashback is. I guess pairing off of further instructions, one of the least consequential we have seen in Lost so far. I wonder how much that informs the fact that we are not going to get a Sawyer flashback until, as you mentioned, LaFleur all the way in the middle. Not even just the beginning, the outright middle of season five. Uh, I did not even remember that, you know, this was the episode with Desmond setting up the lightning rod. And when I did, for some reason, I assumed that the ending of the episode was going to be the infamous, you're going to die, Charlie. Cause that's when Desmond immediately tells him that he set up the lightning rod to save his life. But apparently that's coming later. So this is just a big mixture of memories coming into this. And right now we're really trying to like separate out the, the various puzzle pieces that come with this jumble of the first six episodes and truly figure out what goes where. So what you're saying is when I said at the start of this podcast that this is your favorite episode, and then I went on to say that this is an episode that you have really, really significant memories of, that I was infusing this podcast with a lethal injection of doubt mm -hmm. uh, rather than anything actually accurate. What I'm saying is you essentially con the listeners. Mm -hmm, uh, yeah. and well, I, how else to gain their respect, you con people? Yeah, we'll put a pin as to whether Sawyer actually earned Ben's respect from that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's definitely a tactic that was used. This is definitely the most Ben- of Ben that we have seen this season so far in the first four episodes. And it, it's definitely glimpses of that man who once turned Locke against Jack in the hatch last season. That guy's finally coming out again in season three. All right, let's talk about Every Man for Himself, directed by Stephen Williams, written by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. It originally came out October 25th, 2006, and as mentioned, it is the fourth flashback for James Sawyer Ford and the final flashback for Sawyer until LaFleur. Um, for somebody who is a character that Lost so clearly loved, like in terms of the writer's room, the crafting of this character, it always is a little surprising to me, the the relative lacking of uh, Sawyer flashback content that we get over the course of the show. And in fact, in this episode, I believe it's just four scenes uh, mm -hmm. in, in the flashback. I mean, which is fine, because again, I feel like the flashback is really nothing to write home about, especially uh, writing a letter to Clementine notwithstanding. So this is one of those flashbacks that I'm personally, especially because, in my opinion, unlike the Glass Ballerina, where the action on island might be a little bit just moving the chains, this one feels like there is some pretty interesting stuff going on on both islands. And so I was more than happy to say, yeah, yeah, yeah let's get away from the prison and let's get back to actually what's going on in the various uh, prisons, both physical and metaphorical, on the Lost Island. Plural. I thought that you were about to say, hey, 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 come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. That is not my favorite lost line, but it is definitely a moment that I that always makes me laugh out loud. <laughs> Weird. All right. So the episode does not begin with Sawyer. The episode begins with Desmond, and we start with that lock swirl, mm -hmm. right? Like it's the it's the same shot. It's that uh, uh, end the, of the, tabula the, rasa. The tabula rasa slash mm -hmm. I forget what they used it for. I want to say Something in it season in, two. In Fire Plus Water, when oh, yeah. uh, John Locke is looking at Charlie, he's like, oh, I'm going to have to punch that guy in the face. Uh, so this this swirl, the swooping uh, camera shot, is always either associated with Locke or Charlie, I guess. Yeah, and I guess Desmond is someone who's going to have a relation with Charlie. I guess it's the mm -hmm. swirl of, like, 
uh, either mysticism or foreboding. Uh, and I guess with Desmond, it's both because he has powers, but he also has very fatalistic powers. And it's clear he's very much ruminating. I wonder in terms of the timeline for Desmond, I know that's a very uh, big quotations around that word, but like how recent do you think he saw the possible future of Charlie getting struck by lightning that he is trying to figure out exactly what to do? Yeah, I don't know. It seems like that's the moment where he's having the flash. Mm. Like, it seems like that is where it's happening as he's staring at Claire in the shelter that like he's envisioning what's going on for for Charlie. Um, And that is it's interesting to me is 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 there is there something that happened during the lock speech that involved charlie that maybe by skipping rocks in the ocean desmond prevented charlie from going to the edge of the water <laughs> where he would have been swallowed by a jumping shark well, but charlie's a great swimmer so i think you get him near the water apparently he's totally fine well, not in the end uh, of, of all for Charlie, but I don't I don't really know exactly how it works. But clearly, this is what's going on with Desmond right now. Um, they play it very ominously, but they're just reinforcing this idea of like, yeah, Desmond sees the future now uh, is what this whole Desmond storyline is about. He's telling Claire, like, yeah, you got a problem with your roof. Claire's like, no. He's like, trust me, you do. You should let me fix it. And Charlie's like, yeah, well, if there's a problem with the roof, I'm going to fix it. Yeah. I used to build. I built a church before Mr. Echo exploded. Oof, which too soon, Charlie. But I don't mm-hmm. want to bag on Charlie too much. I know we receive criticism for that, but definitely, you know, I think Charlie sort of is walking. I think he's stung a bit from what happened with Locke in season two, as sort of like I want to be seen as the person that can take care of Claire. The the season two stuff is quite literally behind us. I did notice that uh, Charlie starts calling Desmond brother, and I realized that this is a guy yeah. that just likes to steal people's catchphrases, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, Charlie's just, uh, yeah, just joke theft left and right, phrase theft as well. Um, he says about Desmond when Desmond walks away, he says, that guy's got to get another button to push. Mm, and I like Desmond. Desmond's got like a little swagger to him, too. I don't know if that's residual electromagnetism and just messing with his body a little bit. But for some reason, Henry and Cusack, like Dead Zone Desmond has like a little bit of a John Travolta Saturday Night Fever-esque strut to him. I I mean this is great because this is this is like sober Desmond basically for mm. the first time like uh it's either you know in the first time we saw him he was he was kind of insane like he was driven mad by cabin fever then we see him at the end of season 2 and he's just like stone cold drunk the whole way through and now he's got like time travel brain but we get to see like his personality shine through in this episode in a way that isn't under like such world ending conflict um so even though he's he's dealing with dangerous stakes he's trying to save somebody's life you're getting just a sense of who desmond is a little bit like i'm i'm mostly thinking of the scene with uh paolo uh mm-hmm. coming up which yeah paolo wah wah but i think it's a good desmond scene yeah. um so i i like this as a desmond episode I, I think that i'd forgotten that this was a really good desmond episode but uh you know as far as that's something to talk about too is like season three is introducing you know Desmond and Ben are already in the the language of the show, but not in like big, vivid ways, like not in like intimate ways. And so season three has a really significant job of integrating them into the main storyline and Juliet as well. So it's really no surprise that as they're doing that, as they're off ramping a major character in Mr. Echo, there's just no way that the writers were going to be able to, to, to do justice to two random 815ers. Like there was just no way that there was ever going to be any amount of room to make 
picnic-y and Palo satisfying. We'll talk about that more when we get into the the Palo scene. But when it comes to Desmond in particular, I think the interesting thing is it pairs really nicely with the Flash sideways stuff from season six, which is essentially like when Desmond knows something that the others don't know, he has an interesting amount of confidence to him. I wonder if that's linked back to like the I'm, I'm going to get my honor back of it all, yeah. of like uh, when he has sort of is in a position of power, that is where his confidence comes in. And it's not, you know, him uh, ruling like a tyrannical dictator. If so, then he would have like commandeered Claire out of the shelter saying, Aaron, be damned, move down the damn beach. But right. I think the way that he approaches things, knowing how things will go, even as fatalistic as they may be, is definitely a different attitude than, to your point, uh, Desmond like being so anxiety-ridden when Jack and Locke and Kate down, go down in the hatch. I also wonder how much of it, uh, you know, Desmond thought he was going to die in turning that failsafe key. Do you think getting a second lease on life has sort of loosened Desmond up? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think it's possible. I think it's just like the the whole experience that he's had with flashes before your eyes, which has already happened for him at this point, too, Mm. has probably like clarified for him uh, things a little bit more. Uh, I I do think that like the sobriety piece is not insignificant right now because you will see in flashes before your eyes what Desmond's like when he gets drunk again and what the disparity is like. Uh, so yeah, yeah he's, he's a very sad drunk. <laughs> he's a very very he's a sad drunk, but he's he's like a, a lively drunk too. There's a lot going on with Desmond drinking. Um, there's a lot going on with Jack who's just watching Looney Tunes. (laughs) I love it. They're like, all right, Jack, you've been upgraded from baseball games to public domain cartoons that you can watch at your leisure. Uh, Really incredible. Um, Just... just to put a note in it, um, Jack being so frustrated that he's been strapped into this room watching TV, this is a clear signal, Mike, that we are nothing like this man. Yeah. Uh, this had been our fate. If someone was coming in and giving me grilled cheese sandwiches every hour on the hour, making me watch television, I'd probably be pretty happy with these conditions. To the point where they'd say, like, okay, you can leave, but you have to give surgery to Ben. I'm like, uh, can Ben wait, like, a few more weeks? I really need to finish Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, you're really left <laughs> on a cliffhanger here can he take can I, can I take like a quick month to finish things up and then i'll do it i'll promise i'll do it then uh, or maybe after i do it i'm like all right i'm with you guys now as long as you keep offering tv and fruit salad i'm with you guys yeah, i'm in fruit snacks are the key to my heart um juliet shows up and jack is gonna vent some frustration let's listen to sound number one how are you doing today jack great you seem frustrated Am I going to keep watching cartoons, or are you going to tell me why I'm here? I hope you like Blueberry. If not, I can... Should I talk to Benjamin? Sorry? Should I talk to Benjamin? Because I'm starting to think that you're just the person who brings me my food. You can talk to him all you want, but he won't tell you anything. You work for him. No, I don't work for him. He's in charge. Well, it doesn't work that way over here, Jack. We make decisions together. Really? when I was holding that broken plate at your neck he seemed happy to just let you die I mean it felt like he made that decision on his own you don't know what you're talking about I don't answer to him Juliet I need you can I wait the sub is back we have a situation so come with me now 
Josh Jax got a little bit of gumption back after uh, seemingly being castrated after the events of A Tale of Two Cities. I think he's maybe the cartoons like reset his brain a little <laughs> bit, and he's trying to use Ben's tactics against Ben here. He's trying to do to Juliet and Ben what Ben did to Locke and him. Yeah, uh, and even going as far as to call him Benjamin when he when he hates that name, he prefers to be called Coach. I'm sorry, I'm confusing. The, <laughs> yeah, Chucky the, the Cheese going on Chucky. there, watching <laughs> cartoons and everything. Chucky the Grilled Cheese. Yeah, well, yeah. I was thinking, I was like, why does he call him Benjamin? But I guess Ben does introduce himself as Benjamin Linus, so Jack doesn't necessarily right. know about the nickname yet. I believe I believe that's right. Uh, but yeah, he's you know, listen, he's got some measure of cabin fever. This is how long at this point? This is probably like what three days of captivity uh you know jokes aside i think being stuck in a room uh and getting grilled cheeses and watching looney tunes sounds you know decently okay uh but when you have no idea what's happening to your friends when you uh, have no idea why you're here this is all very disorienting and terrible yeah and i think that jack is also ready to make a move right now like i think he was playing possum for a little bit but now, much like Kate, he is someone who's constantly thinking, okay, what's my next move? How do I get out of here? And it looks like he was building some rapport with Juliet, and he noticed that thing that he did with the broken plate. And so he said, all right, let me try this tactic. I mean, he doesn't necessarily know that there is clearly more strain in that relationship than even he realizes. Uh, and, you know, Juliet's trying to put up a, an okay frontier with, you know, we make decisions together. But the humor comes from the fact that this is immediately undermined by Ben barging in and saying, Juliet, I need you. Follow me now. Yeah, follow me now. Uh, also, and I should so say, so, so we get, I think this is the first mention of the sub. I'm a little intrigued mm-hmm. as to why they didn't take the boat with which they took the other boat but yeah. i guess they wanted to be super undercover or something yeah i think they submarined their way in and then like once they secured the sailboat they brought in the other boat i don't know it seems like a lot of boats for one <laughs> sailboat uh just a yeah. lot of boat action no, no wonder colleen probably <laughs> died by the time she got into that stretcher they kept taking her on boat trips to get to hydra island did the tugboat tug the submarine? Like, <laughs> I'm just so confused about how all the boats were working together. Uh, what if when Ben says the sub is back, uh, he meant that, like, the sandwich guy has returned from an off-island trip. We gotta eat some sandwiches yeah. before the sandwich guy goes again. Or it's like, uh, I don't know, Jason's birthday, and in the break room they got, like, a 12-foot sub that they that Ben has strictly instructed that they all have to consume. And, like, I don't want to throw out this sub. That feels like a waste, so you're all gonna eat <laughs> at least two feet of it. Oh, but it's those like weird subway tomatoes. They're yeah. no good. Yeah, and I don't like banana peppers, Ben. Tough. <laughs> and the bread it just smells so distinct. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just it has this smell and I can't stand it. Uh, anyways, the subway is uh, being installed uh, near the runway. Uh, I don't think we ever get to see that on the show. Yeah, no. Well, I think had Kate and Sawyer not escaped, they would have gotten to work on the subway mm-hmm. yeah, after, after right. the, the runway. Yeah, uh, slinging half sandwiches left and right. Uh, Pickett and the gang show up to take uh, James and Kate to work. Uh, and Sawyer's like trying to goad Pickett into another fight. He's calling him Chinatown. He says, you're very stuffy right now. And uh, Pickett says, give me an excuse. And Sawyer's like, I just did. Um, but then something comes in over the radio. Someone comes in for Pickett and, and Danny, as he is known, uh, has, uh, has some very bad news and he runs away. And this is when we get the, the, the clip we heard at the top of the podcast of Sawyer being like, we happened, scored one for our team. 
Yeah. So Sawyer, again, clearly, despite, I mean, we found this out a couple episodes right ago, right? That he, this is a con man. He's always thinking three steps ahead. And so he is using this as like a score for him, an opportunity to at least incapacitate his enemies immediately. The interesting thing for me is, you know, they see Ben and Juliet, the hubbub, they sort of run out. Ben mutters to Juliet that this is your bed. And I'm a little confused as to what that means. Does it mean literally like, okay, this is the bed in which you'll be operating on Colleen? Or is he somehow blaming her for sending Colleen out on that expedition to get the boat back? Ben's just at this point right now, right, where he's just like blaming Juliet for absolutely everything. Like now that he's been hard rejected by Juliet, uh, he's just like taking out all of these microaggressions on her. Yeah, like, oh, who left the the milk out when it's completely empty? Gotta be Juliet. Uh, You know, Got any milk? No, we don't, because Juliet drank it all. Exactly. Why are my shirts pink? God damn it, Juliet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. To be fair, she is literally... I I didn't have much of a theory on that, but I I think it's probably... It's probably somewhere in that realm, I would guess. I mean, to be fair, Juliet is literally everywhere on Hydra at every point in time, so maybe she is truly responsible for these things. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right. So, uh, bad bad stuff happening there. But Sawyer's happy. He sees uh he sees a, a an in uh for <laughs> and, an escape. And by attempt. in, you mean like a whis- Mr. Wizard experiment gone horribly wrong. Yeah, he's got an idea. He's got an idea. Uh, so Sawyer's gonna be triggering the polar bear cage as the reward, and his plan is he's going to uh he's gonna make a little pool of water. Uh, he is going to grab whoever comes next. He's going to zap himself and the person and just shock absorb the shock because he can handle it. Yes. Yeah. He's a badass. Well, I think it, it also might be, maybe I'm looking too much into this line, but he does say, you know, I'll be able to survive the shock because I felt it before. I feel like this might also talk about Sawyer as a person, considering that he specializes in taking people by surprise, that he feels like he's never truly shocked. And that's what makes the ending of this episode work so well is because when someone actually does get one over him it's a rarity because this is the guy who again is used to shocking people not the other way around yeah so he's got this plan and kate's like "Ooh, good plan like the plan i'm into this plan yeah though i mean kate's like we got to go for jack so it's just says ah he might not even be alive jack schmack come on we gotta take care of ourselves and kate's like didn't you just tell him that he's your only friend Ah, he didn't hear matter. that part. Different you island, in that different rules. You weren't there. Yeah, I don't know that it's a different island yet, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is where he says it's every man for himself. Uh, and it took me a couple of watch throughs on Lost uh, to pick up on how every man for himself, which is the name of this episode, it's a thing that Sawyer says a bunch of times in this episode, comes directly from the "Live Together, Die Alone" speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, it's it's Jack saying we can't do every man. Every man for himself is not going to work out here. Uh, and that's what he says. If we don't live together, we're going to die alone. Um, so it's it's straight out of that iconic speech from Lost Lore. Uh, does not yield necessarily an iconic episode of Lost, but so far, you know, it's good. This is a good episode, Lost. Yeah, the con- and the, con- fine, and totally the connective fine. tissue is there as well, right? Because I think Sawyer and Kate are now having this tug of war between individuality and supporting the group. And granted, the group 
is very small at this point. But, you know, Sawyer, despite going on the expeditions and helping the group out near the end of the season, despite the events of the long con, there is still that part of Sawyer that's always going to be that person, James Ford, who's like, no, you got to strike off on your own. Like, he'll tell Munson later in the weird little, like, uh, sports hallway, like they're going out to play the Super Bowl. You know, if you care about someone, all you do is setting your, set yourself up for hurt. Uh, and in this case, Sawyer's setting himself up for a world of hurt because he's basically trying to do a sacrificial mission at this point, being like, I will get myself shocked so that we can, you know, uh, shot. He's going to get shot. Shocked, I said shocked uh, so that I could, you know, you can get away. Like, I, d- I don't know if he thinks he and Kate would be able to get away. I wonder if his initial plan was more so that, like, he would take the shock and face the punishment of the others, but he would allow Kate to escape. I don't know. A man who takes like an electrical shock would be in as much of a good condition to be able to escape the island as they do at the yeah, end. Of he I feels do. like he can handle it, though. He feels like he can handle. He's not it. Barry Allen. He's Sawyer. Uh, we know that he can take some hurt, though, because we see in the flashback Sawyer's in jail, and as they do in jail, uh, there's a boxing tournament happening. I know this because Oz did a boxing tournament arc during one season, so this is clearly something that happens in prisons across America. Uh, James Sawyer Ford in the ring, he wins his fight. This guy says, oh, I, I should have been following your eyes, not your feet. Uh, and so Sawyer's like, yeah, by the way, who's that dude? And it's Javier from Felicity, mm-hmm. Ian Gomez, a.k.a. Munson, uh, who's got uh, $10 million hidden. Uh, and Bill Duke from Predator is the warden. Uh, and I love that Bill Duke is on Lost in this very random role. Sawyer has a great extended cast of people that would have made the Tampa job a really incredible time. Yeah. If they'd kind of done like the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe of Sawyer characters <laughs> in the Tampa job, you've got the T1000, right. you've got Mac from Predator. Like it's a pretty good lineup of people. You got Javier from Felicity. Yeah. Though, uh, though he might not be lineup. particularly happy with Sawyer after this. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, this this episode, the flashbacks in particular, like a fun group of those guys. What do you think about Sawyer's jail hair? He has the samurai look going on with <laughs> the half it. up, half down. Yeah, yeah, he's like uh, he's like Tom Cruise, last samurai, hanging out with Katsumoto and just like chilling in the the Japanese uh, fields. Uh, yeah, he's sort of like got that look to him right now. Um, it's all right. Like we see this look for Sawyer a few more times over the course of the show. I think. Yeah, I want to. Um, I want to say I can't remember if his Lafleur look is just all the way pulled back, or if he does the samurai look again. I don't quite remember. Um, but he's gonna he's gonna be like taking the piss out of Munson. He calls him Costanza. <laughs> Uh, he says, uh, the warden's being nice to you because he just wants that money, money, money. He wants to butter you up and give you a plum job. What's a plum job? Is that anything like Ray Mullen and his peaches? Well, uh, it makes sense why it's a plum job, because I'm assuming after the warden gets through his supply of apples, plums will be next for him to casually eat only half of and then throw on the floor for Sawyer to pick up. In the warden's defense, so the warden shows up as, uh, Sawyer saying, I hate the warden. I'm giving you free advice because I hate the warden so much. I'm telling you what you need to do with your money he's gonna he's gonna use your wife against you he's gonna do all this stuff uh you don't want anything to do with this guy uh and the warden shows up eating a red delicious apple uh the wax fruit of fruit uh and he takes like one bite and throws it on the ground and says to sir take that trash and i think he's right I think he's right. It's a who prefer 
prefers a red delicious apple. Who goes for the red delicious? I mean, I would also assume that uh, when you're in prison, even if you're part of the staff, you're not exactly picking among the best of the best when it comes to fruit, unless he busts that apple in from outside. In which case, if you're he's just a terrible contraband, ap- fruit contraband. Yeah, and in and that if case. that's the case, that he's just a terrible decider <laughs> when it comes to fruit. Uh, I mean, I get it. If you're incarcerated, like eat it for sure. I mean, you don't have necessarily like the you need the, the roughage the when you face your daily beatings, munch them. Um, but if you're the warden, you bring bring your own fruit. Don't, or at least eat something else. Don't eat the delicious. The, then why is it called a delicious apple when it's not? It's anything but. It is the bottom tier fruit. It's the lowest of the lows. It's, it's overcompensating, right? It's when people say like one of their qualities is, "Oh, I'm funny." It's like if you need to explain it, then oftentimes you're not actually it. And so he throws the wax fruit. All of this is a con. Right yeah. is what we're going to come to find out that the warden and Sawyer are in cahoots, which is why the warden acts straight out of like you know Cool Hand Luke or like insert prison movie here with just being so ott, staring not even daggers but like battle axes at Sawyer and haphazardly dropping fruit on the floor. I love Bill Duke. It's so great to have him on Lost for like five seconds. Such a strange, strange special guest star appearance, but it's great. Um, back on the island. Here comes the big kahuna, Benjamin Linus, uh, showing up to talk to Sawyer and ask him, how much do you weigh? A very inappropriate question. Yeah, though I think it was that they're doing the, uh, they're having a bet in the office, they're doing an office pool as to who's weighing I thought that they had all the intel on these people. Don't they know? Uh, shouldn't they know how much he weighs? Or is like, has he been, has he gained or lost I mean, th- some? That would be my assumption, right? right? Live, as much as, uh, they might have recently stumbled into a bunch of new food, I can only assume living on an island for a month plus probably changed your weight somewhat, even though Hurley speaks up against that. Hmm. Yeah, could be. Could be. Uh, It's it's interesting comparing that first warden scene directly to this, right? Because it's another type of prison situation where Ben is the warden here. And once again, the warden has power over him. Though this time, you know, much like we experienced in A Tale of Two Cities, Sawyer's going to give Ben a wise-ass line. And rather than giving a retort, Ben just gets straight down to business and shows like, I'm not even going to listen to the sass that you're giving me. Uh, Sawyer says he's 32. Don't lie. I'm 35. Why are you lying about three years? It's just I, I don't know. Limited. Is there something? Is, is is there a rubric for ages? Much like my rubric for loss, that like a 30 Maybe. to 32 means something than a 33 mm-hmm. to 36. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. I'm the same age as Sawyer. How about that? Oh, Who happy knew? Sawyer year. Yeah, this is a great year. (laughs) (laughs) Relative terms. Uh, Sawyer is going to try and pull his prank on Ben. It doesn't work. Uh, and yeah, Sawyer's very a fun upset little uh, moment from the leftovers esque with Sawyer trying to turn the two keys in a manner of speaking with grabbing Ben's <laughs> hand and kicking the button. That is a mental picture for sure. <laughs> I think some people, people would like that, that mental episode. picture. But I mean, I yeah. love this scene, Josh, because not only does Ben step through the the science BS and turn off the button, but this is the first appearance of I'd say Ben's main weapon, the telescopic baton. Do we want to dole out MVP points to the baton? No, not yet, because I feel like the baton's no. going to have a better day. I want to say in the shape of things to come, I think is really think, yeah. the, the baton's coming out party. Coming out. Uh, yeah, I think that we're not going to give uh, the baton any MVP points ever. Uh, I think we have to keep those inanimate objects relegated to just uh, to, to drugs as as of this recording. Um, so we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Uh, but yeah, here comes the beating stick that Ben is going to use a few times throughout the series, and it is making its first debut here against Sawyer. Uh, and it's effective enough that he's able to knock 
Sawyer unconscious. When Sawyer wakes up, he's in a table strapped to a table in a room. He's overhearing Ben and Tom. And thank God, somebody's talking about the purple sky. <gasps> yeah, exactly. What the A15ers could do, the others who have lived on this island for much longer are actually saying, well, that's actually kind of creepy. Uh, and we, we get the first message here about the communications being down. So again, talking about the front that Ben put up in the end of the glass ballerina being like, we know everything about the outside world. Uh, not as much as they previously did, because at this moment, they are not able to have communications with said outside world. Yeah, so they're not able to figure that out. Comms are down. Um, Certain comms are down, apparently, uh, because Jack, and this is, I guess, goes, do we have to revise what we said about A Tale of Two Cities, Josh, the PA system, considering that Jack was able to overhear Sawyer here? we don't, we don't, we don't. So what's happened here, because we said that the smoke monster was in the PA system, right? Yeah. So the smoke monster, much as the smoke monster is able to grab a hold of your larynx and your your vocal cords uh, and, and, uh, you know, constrict them and make it impossible for you to speak, which is what happened to John Locke in further instructions, uh, the smoke monster is in Jack's ear right now, (laughs) enhancing his ability to hear. Uh, the smoke monster hearing aid! (laughs) In a very targeted, uh, you know, uh, direct uh, sound microphone uh, sort of situation. So, yeah, so that's what's happening. That's why Jack is able to hear Sawyer uh, through the comm link. Uh, It's not through the comm link. He's got a little bit of monster in his ear. Either that or Smokey was sort of lying in the peripherals, overheard Sawyer, and then like a parrot sort of threw his voice into the PA system just to, mm-hmm. as we talked about in Tale of Two Cities, <laughs> screw with Jack even yeah. more. I hope people are okay with the fact that I'm not really taking this stuff too seriously today. Uh, you know, I'm just like, that's where I'm at right now. So uh, it's just every man for himself. I hope that we're going to get Every joke here. for itself on this podcast. <laughs> uh, so they're going to shove a big uh, needle into Sawyer. So this is all hijinks. This is chicanery. None of this is for anything. It's just to con Sawyer. Yeah, do you, do you uh, think And that- part of conning Sawyer is like the con air move yeah. of shoving the needle into his sternum. Well, I was going to say, uh, uh, let's con air more Pulp Fiction, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, uh, except in that case, it was to wake somebody up, not put them to sleep. Because I guess... Sorry, I was thinking of The Rock, too, even uh, though there is an Alcatraz reference later exactly. on in this Exactly. I was wondering, did they expect Sawyer to get knocked out, or were they really going to, like... You know, I, we have to wonder, what did they put in his chest? Did they just slice him and then sew him up again to make it believe that it was a pacemaker? If, maybe. If so, did know. they... Maybe it was the, the same sedative that they gave the rabbit, is what they injected into Sawyer's body. In which case, going through the sternum is not a great idea. And I also love this, like... Day one rookie other who's like, oh, I gotta go through the sternum. Whoops. It's Jason. Jason, right? This is I think Jason. I, yeah, one of them's Jason. I can't remember, yeah. but he definitely. Not s- McCormick. No relation. But he definitely seems like he, uh, I don't know if he meant to slip that first time. Again, you have to wonder in this episode, how much is, are each of these lines a con? Uh, how yeah. much is this other's ineptitude at the, the first time as to where to put the needle? Was that to spook Sawyer or was this purely from the fact that this guy was kind of struggling under the, the spotlights of it all? This whole thing is ridiculous. We'll get into it in greater detail in a little bit. First, let's go back to the beach uh, and let's talk about that Desmond and Paolo scene that we um, that we mentioned before. And let's actually listen in as Desmond is going to waltz up to Paolo. Just be like, hey, you're just a random jabroni, right? I could just take your five iron. And uh, Paolo's like, yeah, all right, go for it. Don't mind me, brother. I'm just going to take one of your clubs. Holly said it'd be all right. Holly, huh? Must mean you're off to save the day. So, uh, 
I can take one of these. Take the five iron. I never use it. That way when you die in the jungle, doing whatever you're doing, I don't have to go looking for it. Thanks, man. You might want to um, square your shoulders a bit more. You play golf. I'm Scottish. Cheers. Ah, uh, Josh, <laughs> I think we needed... That's Had Paolo so not died, we were missing out on an episode a la Happy Gilmore of Desmond <laughs> teaching Paolo how to become a better golfer. Yeah. Uh, it's all in just, the hips. Yeah. Tap it in. Just, just tap, tap it in. It in. Yeah. Oh, if only. Uh, so I, I want to talk about something for a second because we had a great conversation with a great listener of the podcast, Phoebe Nugent, over this past week about the introductory scene to Nikki and Paolo. And again, yes. I'm, I'm very excited to have a deep dive into these characters, but this scene is a great reason as to why these characters didn't work from the jump, which is, Josh, that Nikki and Paolo at this point are such negative Nancys. Yes. And it makes sense from like the timeline perspective, right? We're going to find out in expose, like they were along with 815. They've been suffering along with the rest of them this entire time. Certainly from a character perspective, they are tired. They're looking for diamonds. Like they are done with it. But the way they get dropped into the show is, you know, Nikki yelling at Hurley, why didn't you tell us beforehand that, you know, uh, that, that Jack was gone? Or them having... Well, I don't know. I was just kidnapped. I just got back from being kidnapped. Yeah, or like them having sex in Jack's tent uh, while he's gone. Like it, the, the introduction to these characters from a psychological standpoint makes sense. But the first thing we see of these people, including in this scene, was just them just like bitching and moaning, being like, oh, well, you're gonna die anyway. Or, oh, right. Hurley told you. Well, Hurley's one of the big guys in the in the camp, so I guess that that's okay. Like, I understand the meta aspect of it that the show is trying to do in its third season, but that being said, nobody's going to really want to associate themselves with these characters. That's why Shannon was such a disliked character from the very beginning, right? In the pilot, totally, until totally. she goes on the expedition, all she does is sit around and be like, I'm not going to eat. We're going to eat on the rescue boat. Shut up, Boone. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's, it's funny. I think, remember back in the day, when we used to read like the abandoned storylines for season one mm-hmm, from the series mm-hmm. Bible, um, Nikki and Paolo are like uh, the personification of some of those abandoned bad ideas. <laughs> yes, um, that like actually made it onto the show. Uh, like this is like th- they are like the 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 human representations, the the ambassadors of a very bad storyline, um, and it th- they just happen to make it through. Um, but. And I know I'm, I might catch heat for this, but it's they're part of the reason why I love season three so much, because this is just such a losty season of lost. It is it is a warts and all season of lost. <laughs> like this is a season of lost where it is starting to buckle under the weight of can the can the premise of the show sustain itself for this long without really barreling forward without that sense of forward momentum um can this can this show continue on at um you know even when it gets down to like 16 episodes a season or 18 episodes a season it still feels like it might be too much sometimes um and like you get into season three and there's no end point in sight at this point uh and they need to keep things fresh and they think like all right well people have been talking about background players for so long should we bring them in and they bring them in and it's a fail uh 
I think that that's kind of great. I think it's as if like you care about like um like the autopsies on TV. If like you can if you can accept as a blanket that you love Lost, that you love the show, that the highs of the show are the things that stick out to you much more than the lows, then I think that, at least for me, I'm able to develop a fondness for the lows. Uh, and Nikki and Paolo are such lows. <laughs> They're Paolo's. Uh, you know, and I, I am able to, I am able to, to, to see that. So I think it's, I think it's, I think it's fascinating in terms of like the creation of the show. Uh, the fact that they are here at all, uh, it should not have happened and yet, and yet. Uh, but I do think that again, it, it is, um, Desmond, uh, you know, being like, I'm Scottish. Of course I play golf. Like, of course I could tell you how to do that. It's just a fun character note yeah. for Desmond. Just like, it's a really good look for this character. This is, I think, an underratingly funny episode whether incidentally or not uh and this is a, a little character moment as well uh where the the scene that i played was the entire scene and it lasted all of 40 seconds i think the the desmond stuff ends up totaling what like three or four scenes as well in terms of the flash uh comparing it to something the like that yeah yeah i think that's right yeah, so I think that, you know, it's clear that things are much more heavily weighted towards the Hydra section of things, which, again, makes sense, though it lies a little weird butted up against last week, which had no Hydra stuff whatsoever in terms of the balance. They sort of want to overcompensate in this episode. All right, well, let's talk about weird. We go back to Hydra, sort of wakes up again, and here comes Benjamin Linus. He has a bunny in a cage, and it gets very, very, very strange very quickly. <laughs> What the hell? Hey. Hey, come on. Hey, move. Let's move. Hey, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's move it, let's move it, let's move it. Hit it, hit it, hit it. Let's move it, let's move it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I, okay, I, what? I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but Michael Emerson what? is just so good sounding like that, like trying to do a psych out from basketball. Like, hey, come on, come on, come on, come on, hippity, hoppity, come on, come on, hey, come on, come on, hey, here we go, hey, better, hey, better swing. It is so weird. It is the weirdest thing. Uh, this is, it is in, in, you know, two full seasons plus four episodes of Lost. And there's been a polar bear and a smoke monster. This is like the strangest, weirdest thing. Uh, is Ben Linus showing up with a bunny with an eight tattooed on it, shaking the bunny and going, hey, come on, come on, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, hey, come on, so, so he's going to go into like, you know, I put this bunny, this pacemaker in the rabbit. It happens whenever it's what, uh, excited or anxious or fearful. I'm not sure what feeling Ben was trying to inspire in this rabbit. <laughs> So weird. One of the weirdest scenes in all of Lost. I, I've never forgotten how weird this hey, come scene on, come is. On, come like, on, come on, come on, come on, hippity hop, hippity hop. It is just, it is so bizarre. Wow, Easter uh, must be a terrifying time <laughs> in barracks for poor Alex. There's a, there's a few things about the barracks that I'd be very nervous about as it pertains to Ben's chateau based on... Uh, <laughs> Uh, these uh, effusive noises he's making here. Um, so Sawyer's like, did you just kill a bunny? 
and so he didn't or at least we don't know uh it seems like maybe he didn't uh as, as we'll come to find out later what he did do is he demonstrated to sawyer what is going to happen to him do you know what a pacemaker is he tells sawyer it's just gonna give your heart a little kickstart if it needs a kickstart uh hopefully you've got like a low enough threshold that you're gonna your your kickstarter is gonna succeed uh and he says you you're gonna your heart's gonna blow up if you if you get a big active heart rate uh your heart's gonna go and here's a watch and it's gonna tell you whether or not your heart's gonna explode it's like sawyer falls for this sawyer is a freaking moron uh sawyer is so stupid it's like here's here's a bomb on your heart yeah. you don't run away anymore because we're gonna blow up your heart and Sawyer's like oh man they got me well, <laughs> you know speed you're the bus now Sawyer. you're the bus your heart is the bus uh, and you're Keanu Reeves, and you got to keep that bus under a certain uh, MPH. See, I I uh, quibble less with Sawyer really taking this at face value because, again, like Ben, I guess he took the bunny thing at face value that like this guy's clearly creepy, and like it wouldn't put it past them to do that. I think the whole thing about like you can't tell Kate or we'll put one in her too is like I think him falling for that is a little daft. And maybe he's clouded by his feelings for Kate at the moment, but that would seem a little extreme even from the others like immense psychological torture perspective. Yeah. It's just so strange, Mike. We're going to blow up your heart. So stop being a dick, Sawyer. We're going to we're going to explode your heart. I guess like Sawyer has seen some weird stuff. Apparently, but pushing a button was preventing the end of the world. He right. was doing that for a little while. Uh, he doesn't know what the others are capable of. I so mean, maybe he did firsthand experience, like getting shot by them and getting their boat blown up to kidnap Walt. So I think he thinks of them as very depraved, evil people, even though Ben, once again, channeling the season two finale, will insist to Sawyer, we're not killers, James, but also there's a bomb on your heart. I think the fact that they get him hook, line, and sinker on this one, though, like, why Ben flips the script and tells him, no, we didn't put a bomb in your heart, James. Uh, I don't know why you... I would have... I would I would tell Sawyer for the rest of the series, like, yeah, you got a bomb in your heart, dude. <laughs> so you just better be careful, because if you do anything stupid, we're going to blow up your heart. Well, we'll get this, to a moment later on bomb. that, like, uh, might have... A, should have given up the goose. But here in the yes. moment, I can understand, because, again... Ben's presentation, his TED talk, if you will, is spooky enough and uh -huh. weird enough to get Sawyer being <laughs> yeah. like, okay, this crazy son right, of a bitch I'm might sold. actually put, yeah, put a pacemaker in. And I guess, yeah, I guess thinking about it more so when I was asking about like, was the incision just for show, that there are no surgeons active on the island at this point. So yeah, I guess they did just literally cut him open and then stitch him up once he passed out. And did, they just did, stabbed him with a thing and that's they it. They did diddly it. squat. Yeah, it was just a little slice and a stitch. Uh, that's uh, what we call going out for pizza in a comedy show in New York. Uh, so Sawyer is taken back to the cages. He's got a bucket to to clean himself with. Kate has one as well, plus a new change of clothes. And Mr. Friendly says, "Listen, Kate, if any of that doesn't fit, just let me know. We'll come get you new stuff." See, he's such a good friend to her. That's why they call him Mr. Friendly. <laughs> Good, nice guy, nice guy, Tom. Uh, so Kate's like, "What happened?" So I was like, "Nothing." <laughs> Sawyer, nothing. Ugh. James, did they put a bomb in your heart? Oh, Make you got something it. Got it up. Lunch. You are a con man. <laughs> got it in one. She gets changed. He watches his heart 
rate accelerates and pushes him into the danger zone uh cue the music yeah this really uh, is something out of like american pie right of like uh-huh. oh i said i wouldn't do it but now i'm watching her change and then he flash dances himself he pours water all over himself to try to cool himself down uh and i will say obviously not nearly as annoying as the transition noises from maternity Lee, but i will say the watch beeping that was supposed to be uh, tense once you know what the episode is gets a little annoying after a while yeah an abandoned storyline i believe is that the watch goes off and then somewhere on the other island on the main island jin kwan's ears perk up and he goes watch and he swims into the ocean and swims all the way to hydra island to beat up whoever has yeah. the watch oh, no i believe actually in meet kevin johnson uh michael's mm-hmm. gonna find it watched up and then jin's gonna swim in after him on a yeah. tidal wave and just beat the crap out of michael for finding it, it, it Exactly. So, uh, yeah, the watch is uh, Sawyer just doesn't strike me as a watch guy either. So, well, him with like, like a digital one of those watch is sort of weird. Digital watches yeah, instead of yeah. like the fancy analog ones, like we saw with Mister Paik. I guess you know if if it washed up, he'd be like, "Yeah, I want the watch." You know, it's something. To, it's something well, to it do. Well, definitely would be know? something he'd horror like. Hey, if you want to know mm-hmm. what the time is, you better give me something. <laughs> you better I want. talk to me. Yeah, for sure. He's the keeper of the clock. Uh, Sawyer to cool down his heart rate pours a bucket of water on himself and that immediately slows his heart rate. So this is a good tactic to know uh, that in the future when I'm having a real anxious episode and my heart rate is going, I should just dump a full bucket of water on my head and immediately I will stop being so anxious? Well, I think it's less about anxiety and more like the Austin Powers, Margaret Thatcher naked on a cold day type yeah, of thing of, right, of trying right. to stymie those urges you know uh sawyer had his, his moment of being connor now with anna lucia a short time ago but he's been holding a torch for kate for quite some time and i think getting the first opportunity to see some of that backside uh, and he'll see much more than that backside in a little bit but at this point it's he like you said i guess he can't help it he he despite turning away he decides to sneak a peek i guess in that moment he's like screw it if i go out at least i go out watching something i like at least i go out with porn yeah um sawyer uh flashback mode speaking of like sawyer's avengers uh you know kim dickens is, mm. is certainly no slouch either and here comes cassidy returning to the mix and she's got some very big news for james hello sawyer it's james ford and i know you know that because you got it right when you press charges you're mad at me well look where i am what did you want me to do you conned me something you want yeah yeah there is come on i got license plates to make your daughter what do you want well first i wanted you to know then what i think i'm gonna take one look at this picture and turn into father knows best we're living in this little place in albuquerque it's near the university tell me this i just thought you could write her a letter name's clementine what the hell am i gonna write dear goo goo gaga she's a baby she ain't mine Josh, sound the trumpets. We have come 
to Mike Bloom's favorite line in all of Lost. Dear Goo Goo Gaga, she's a baby. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just to review, this is my favorite line in all of Lost. It, it, what the hell am I going to write? Dear Goo Goo Gaga, she's a baby. She ain't mine. <gasps> it's a very good line. Oh, it makes me laugh every goddamn time since the very first time every I saw goo-goo this. Every Goo Goo Gaga damn time. It works, it works on so many levels, Josh. This is a seven-layer dip of a line because it has so many different implications behind it like it, is he assuming that the baby's name is goo goo gaga and that's why he's writing it in the foreword dear goo goo gaga is that that he believes that you can all babies can only read baby ease which apparently mm-hmm. is goo goo gaga i just and i love him following up with just the the like the affirmation she's a baby she's a baby <laughs> it's so freaking good <laughs> well you know what you know what i love about it too is i think it's a great distillation of james sawyer Ford, uh who is this character who can at once be really 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 funny just has like incredible dialogue um but also could be very intense and could be very very uh haunted uh, and so, so much is happening here, not just in the line of like, dear Goo Goo Gaga, she's a baby, but the fact that that's a very funny line, the fact that it is filled with such like kind of, uh, it's not malice. I mean, like, it, it sort of is like he's being really mean to Cassidy, but you know that the reason why is because he's like, oh shit, I've created life. The whole reason that I'm so miserable and rotten is because of what happened to me and my parents and what that death created for me. And now am I like, I'm the absentee father in jail. And like, this is like gonna, this is gonna be a thing for, for Clementine. Like, I think a lot is happening psychologically with this character too so compounding that with a really funny line um i think that this uh i'm not disappointed at all i think that this this is one of the underrated uh moments of the episode for sure i think best line in all of lost not for me but i totally get it like it's one of those very personal subjective things it's a great line it's very very funny and it means a lot and it's also like it's quintessential me right like it's dumb it's sarcastic. It's goofy. There are certainly better lines in Lost, but this is my favorite. It's also one of my favorites because there's a little bit of hipster in me that, like, you know, I have definitely divulged into many Lost message boards and conversations. And when people talk about, like, very funny moments in Lost, nobody points this line out. And this is one that ever since the end of 2005 has, like, continually stuck with me since this episode. And so it has, like, only grown more and more renowned in my head of, like, nobody knows about the gold mine that is Dear Goo Goo Gaga. <laughs> and I was so excited to finally unveil this. So your mileage may vary. I love the line. But to get into the more serious aspects of it, I do agree that if if there's anything to get out of this flashback whatsoever, it's Sawyer's reaction to Clementine. Because there is so much baked in there. It's this idea of, like, generational trauma, uh, you know, or this idea of that he is now responsible for someone else, right? He is someone who is going to espouse to Munson later on, don't care about people because the more people you have involved in your life, the more hearts you have to break, essentially. And this is somebody who, unlike Cassidy, he can't straight up and leave. This is blood. This is someone, he and he hasn't had blood in his life since a very young age, and that has determined the course of his life. So I can imagine how big of a reaction it is and how he would want to be in denial of that and refuse to allow that into his life. Cause not only is it a big deal in terms of a seismic change in his life, but that brings in a whole new weight 
a responsibility that is going to cause him to question his actions. And at this point, Sawyer is miring in his actions anyway. He's self-flagellating the fact that, yeah, I'm a con man, but I hate myself for doing it. And so I think he would feel ashamed that, okay, you know, I'm a bad person. And uh, he would hate to have his own daughter know how bad of a person he is, which I think also contributes to his decision ultimately to, you know, open up the anonymous account and try to keep Clementine from totally. knowing who he is at all. It's less so... A, but still trying, like, in his way to be, like, a good parent. Yeah, and I think... and I, So then, from that capacity, it's not a selfish decision. It's a selfless decision. It's saying, I don't... I corrupt anyone who comes into my life. I don't want this to happen to this person. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, is great. What a great character. Yeah. And also, we got a mention of uh, Albuquerque here, which obviously come back in... I thought it was in Left Behind, but I guess it's in Season 5 when Kate visits Cassidy. Though maybe, who knows, maybe Kate was dropping by and visiting Cassidy during the events of uh, whatever the case may be. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna run into each other this season, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's that, but it's that but she'll future be in interaction. Then. Yep, 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 yep. Um, speaking of Kate, she, she's like, I think I could probably squeeze out of this cage. Yeah, why are the bars spaced further at the top than the rest of the cage for some reason? I don't think that they ever thought that the polar bears were going to get that high, and certainly the polar bears wouldn't be able to squeeze the out of the cage. The bears were able to solve complex food puzzles. You don't think they'd be able to climb to the top of the cage? I, I'm i not saying that, Mike, but I am saying that they're not going to squeeze out of those bars, yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. They're gigantic. They're polar bears. But I just Mike. don't know the designs of being like, okay, I know the size of the bars on the sides, but let's maybe make them a little wider on top why the hell you not? know it's more ventilation i don't know it's all it's all open air that doesn't really make any <laughs> yeah, sense. it's all it's all air yeah, i don't really know um jack once again hearing things on the monitor he's still listening in and here comes juliet in scrubs covered in blood this isn't sawyer's blood stop freaking out about sawyer she tells him there's a woman who is dying and i need your help. Cue the sirens, Mike. The noise that is even worse than the watch as the sirens are blaring and Kate and Sawyer see a blindfolded Jack mm. uh, and they're screaming for him. Screaming bloody murder. I can't remember just because I know Jack is going to flinch here. So obviously maybe making it like the blaring work, but maybe not making it one continuous tone uh, like, I don't know, a dial tone wouldn't have helped them. I forget. Does Jack does this hit Jack at all? Uh, that he know he hears them somewhere. It seems like he flinches, but like he doesn't have a major. Right. Uh, I can't like, remember. I, know, I, can't I know remember in a future episode if yeah. he's like, I know you have them somewhere. I heard their voices. No, he he gets a he runs into Kate right. Like he sees he sees on the monitor Kate and Sawyer, but he also gets a one on one with Kate uh, and I do. Um, so that's coming up. That's how he's going to know that they're they're around. Yeah, but it looks like Juliet maybe uh, in, in uh, going along with Jack's point here, getting it rent free in her head has gone over Ben's head here. She has made an executive decision. Colleen's life is on the line, and so she says, "Screw it, throw that potato sack." on Jack's head and let's get him into the get him into scrub in because he's got to save this woman's life. Yeah. And so he goes in. Ben's pissed that Jack has been brought in. Um, Jack is going to catch a glimpse of something. He sees Ben's spine. He's like, oh, I'm going to back pocket that. I see something. And over she's there. Like, Don't that be Snoopy. Yeah. Relevant to my interests. They are unable to save Colleen. Yeah, no, uh, the not- crash cart does not work because nothing like this has happened before, apparently. Ethan rolling in his grave. Yeah, I would also say, I don't know, uh, maybe also dock points from Ethan because, I don't know, unless the defibrillator broke during the days he was away. But, like, come on. 
this you you would not think there's any sort of reason to not have to have a crash card in any emergency situation like for all you know someone could collapse while digging ditches and you have to resuscitate their heart there's only so many needles you can uh stick in their chest but i'll give kudos to jack here he snaps right into professional doctor mode he could very easily be snitty and be like i'm not gonna do it or you know he could be constantly questioning but for what it's worth he's a good doctor he's gonna keep his head down snap right into surgeon mode and try the best he can to save colleen's life but you know what for poor jack cpr does not work on everybody evidently no do no harm is the coda so jack is gonna do his job but it doesn't work uh it is the end for colleen uh hardly knew you colleen um pickett is very upset about this and it leads danny to go outside and take out his aggression on james sawyer ford shall we put some uh sawyer beat down music into our ears significant beatdown. Yeah, well, I was going to uh, say... Sawyer getting hit like a hundred times in the head. I know not, that uh, we're obviously... We have the Ben beatdown. I don't think we're going to do the Sawyer beatdown. Is this better or worse for you than Confidence Man with the torture and everything? Uh, this is like getting hit in the head over and over and over and over and over again is probably going to do more long-term damage and is more of a threat to your life imminently. Um, that being said, bamboo shoots under your fingernails like makes my skin crawl in a way that this does not right i think this was more dangerous but the torture was more painful purposely so right because they wanted to slowly inject pain into him to get what he wants Pickett is just straight up it's so unusual right i mean uh not that fists are supposed to go on your face but bamboo (laughs) shoots are certainly not supposed to go underneath your fingernails yeah and i mean Pickett also straight up farkas's sawyer here uh and sawyer just gets completely wrecked partially because he can't do anything because he's still under the construct that if he, I guess, gets his heart rate going by really getting the adrenaline pumping and fighting Pickett, then that's going to cause things to get blown up. Or maybe he feels like he'd face a worse punishment if he does indeed let Pickett fight back. I will also say Michael Bowen does an awesome job in this scene where he just like, and you see it in the Lost on Location where they go behind the scenes for this particular scene. Like he is going so aggro and intense and scary in this scene. Ben was just weird scary with the hippity hop, hippity hop. Michael Bowen is legitimately scary in this scene where he is just beating the crap out of Sawyer and seeing complete red due to the death of it's his Uncle wife. Uncle Jack, man. You can't trust Uncle Jack. Scary guy. 
so I want to stop down to talk about uh, Yes, I Love Him. Is this true? Mm. Is this Kate just saying something to save him here? I, Where are you at with all of this? We know that, of, of course, uh, Jate is fate but I, I, in I, the yeah. long haul. I mean, I'm a skate fan, but I will say, I don't know. I did not think this was a great skate episode. Uh, I'm personally in the camp that I think Kate lied. Because I think, you know, look how look how much it took to get Kate to say it. And this is a woman who's also extremely used to lying. She's not someone who wears her heart on her sleeve. So she could very easily be like, yes, I love him. Now stop beating him up. Or, hey, I'd love for you to stop beating this man to death. Does she have feelings for Sawyer? I'm sure of it. But love is such a weighty word. You know, Kate and Jack are going to tell each other that they love each other in the final episode of the series. Like, I do not think love builds over a month plus with these two characters in particular. Maybe someone like Saeed, who is a bleeding heart romantic. But I do not think that Kate Austin would fall in love with somebody, be it Jack or Sawyer, in this limited amount of time. Do we think of the entire time that uh, Jack and Kate were in a relationship with each other off the island that they never said I love you before? I don't know. They were They were in weird places. Right. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine. I can see it. I, I mean, I'm not saying it like that's ridiculous. I'm just, I mean, it's it's a lot, but I, 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 yeah, could, I could buy I know. it. It's, it's, it's three years. So I can understand why it'd be like, well, that's crazy. But also they are not very amicable uh, when we flash to them and through the looking glass. Also, they went through intense trauma. Yeah. Uh, They're very damaged people. So uh, who knows? Yeah, And who I knows? think, again, Kate is somebody sort of like Sawyer in that perspective, who I think is not willing to necessarily open herself up to people. So I can imagine the fear in telling someone that I love you is a little scary, which is why, again, that moment in the end is such a, a fun moment for the character because it's her finally opening herself up to Jack truly and showing her full self, which also makes me feel make me also want to support the idea that she's lying here because it would feel like that gets sort of invalidated by the fact that she did it three month, three seasons beforehand with Sawyer to prevent him from getting properly Farkas to death. Uh, in the In the past, back in prison... Uh, what's there to say? Munson, Munson wants Sawyer's help. My wife, she's investigating me. She's leaving me. It's like you said, move the money. So I was like, sweet. Yeah. I'll do that. So in your first watch of this, do you remember, like, did you feel like something was up? Or was this another one of the things, sort of like the long con, where you're like, oh, yeah, he's actually going straight the entire time until it turns no, out to be an fool, entire thing? fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me twice, you can't fool me again. You know, so I, I figured, uh, like, there's, there's, uh, this time Sawyer's you're not slipping past me guy uh so yeah I don't think I don't think I probably thought much of it to be honest I think I was pretty disengaged with the flashback would be my yeah, guess and that's the thing as well is that we again I don't want to be repetitive about how repetitive the past two flashbacks have been but this is another one where outside of the Clementine stuff there's really nothing else to glean from this character right the the even the Cassie relationship which I'll say the long con I think has a bit of an underrated flashback in showing Sawyer sort of tugging with his heart and his head, the latter of which is more uh, centered on conning somebody. We don't really get that here. We get this rando guy showing up. Sawyer tries to get in good with him by making enemy out of the warden. And no, it turns out that the warden was working with him the entire time. And even though he's a bit of a white hat here instead of a black hat, he still, quote, uh, lied and cheated his way out of prison. Um, so back in a different prison, Sawyer and Kate on the island, uh, on Hydra Island, S Sawyer has been, you know, protecting the plate. He's been told, don't tell Kate. Uh, Kate is, uh, clearly she's not an idiot. She knows that something's up. 
and she wants to know why uh, why Pickett just decided to beat the shit out of you. Why are you acting so weird? Uh, and it causes her to make a move. She's going to climb out of the cage uh, through the, the holes in the top that the polar bears wouldn't stand a chance of coming through. Uh, and she's going to have a little bit of an exchange with our guy. What are you doing? What are you doing? What does it look like? Hang on a second, Freckles. I told you, Tommy. Right. You're the one that said we had to go. Well, that was before. Before what? sounds like somebody who, who's more team jack than team Sawyer. yeah considering that she uh she said that back to him advantage lily i feel like is actually a very underrated part of this episode i feel like in those two clips that we played in particular she does a really great job though i will say kate saying uh you know that i know you're scared enough to lie about it and that scares me more than anything they've done to us before uh sawyer lies a ton Kate, that's why you literally say to him, tell me the truth for once in your life. Does she feel like for some reason he wouldn't lie to her at all, despite the fact that he has lied to her profusely in the past? I think about something like this, where he's like clued her into all of his plans and the fact that he's come back from wherever they took him and is not talking about why he's no longer interested in pursuing escape. That is what's freaking her out. And I I think like... Whatever they did, because you're not a person who scares easily. Um, the fact that they succeeded and the fact that you won't tell me what happened, that scares the shit out of me. So I think it's less about the lie and more about like what your lie is representing. Mm. Um, that like maybe they put a bomb on your heart. So that being said, if Sawyer did indeed want Kate to go, should he have come up with a lie instead of just obfuscating the truth and not saying anything? 
She said, listen, Kate, they put a bomb on my heart. No, like, to bend the truth, will be like, they put a bomb on my butt. My butt yeah, has a bomb, a bomb on it. I don't know if the butt bomb is more believable than the heart bomb. Um, maybe. But you think he should have probably said they put a bomb in me? They put a bomb in me and they're going to blow me up. They're going to blow up my heart if you don't leave. Uh, or if you if, if I do leave. And Kate would probably at that point like start laughing and be like, dude, they definitely didn't put a bomb in your heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, you know, it's an interesting skate moment here where Sawyer keeps like rebuffing her, saying, Every man for himself, every man for himself, uh, which is interesting that he is now twisting the line that he gave Kate as to why they should leave Jack to kill to tell Kate why she should leave him. She feels like he is just pushing her away emotionally. And so she tries to hit him back by being like, well, I didn't actually mean when I mean it when I told him I loved you. Uh, so, again, it's a really interesting, tempestuous moment between the two. But Kate, her stubbornness works for the group at this perspective. She, as much of an independent person as she is and why she and Sawyer find that in common, she is so devoted to the cause at this point that she hops right back into that cage and says, look, I may have had a chance to escape, but I'm going nowhere without you and maybe yeah, Jack. Yeah, LTDA. LTDA. Um, so all of this is being watched from a secret underground bunker, yeah, which is again, a good uh, why Kate didn't escape because she would have been caught dead to rights. Uh, unlike what happened to the end of I do, they have not had an opportunity to subdue people. Instead, it would just been Kate running into the middle of the jungle. Maybe that's another reason why I don't know if Sawyer described to Kate what happened with Carl, uh, not Carl from love, actually the actual Carl on lost, but it seemed like Kate would have tried to do the exact same thing. Um, yeah, so Ben's watching all of this, and Tom's like, you know, Danny wants to kill him. And he says, Danny can wait. Who cares about Danny? He's going to be dead soon anyway. He's going to be joining Colleen. Speaking of Colleen, Jack and Juliet are just chilling near Colleen. Jack has not been taken back to his cell yet. Ben wants him to stew there for a little bit longer. Uh, and it leads to the following exchange between the doctors, Shepard and Burke. I'm, I'm sorry, they, they, uh, they had to put handcuffs on you. I'm a, I'm a fertility doctor. I'm not used to death. What was her name? Cole. I'm short for Colleen. I shouldn't have a... I should have come to get you sooner. It wouldn't have mattered. There wasn't any more that you could have done. She was... She was dead before you put her on the table. Are you... Are you just saying that to make me feel better? I don't... I don't care about making you feel better. Take you back now. Um, I'm, I'm sorry for bringing you here. What X rays are those outside? Those are spinal X rays, and they belong to a man about 40 years old. And whoever he is, he has a very large tumor on his L4 vertebrae. And I just happen to be a spinal surgeon. So you tell me, Juliet. Who am I here to save? 
Juliet, after you wash the blood off yourself, you better stop by the burn ward because your ass just got lit up. Yeah, it got a little hot in there all of a sudden because Jack just brought the heat. Yeah, uh, yeah there's my guy, Jack Shepard, who hears a number, you know, pattern once and memorizes it uh, and looks at x-rays for half a second and knows in vivid detail what it is and what that's all about and completely is like, okay, so this is what this is all about. Got it. Okay. Um Jack's really great in this episode. Yeah, this is, again, after being... Strong Jack episode. After being so subjugated in the first episode and being so stubborn and then eventually getting, like, beat into docility, he really comes raring out in this episode. And that's why this is an interesting sort of ebb and flow with him and the others, right? Like, it's clear that Ben wants to teach him a lesson, quote-unquote, by handcuffing him to Colleen's dead body to be like, look at what your people did. Like, I think it's less so a punishment of what he could do to save Colleen, because as they said, there's really nothing you can do, but more so to be like, you lead these people and look what these people did, and now you will pay for their actions. Uh, But, you know, Jack being able to... And they didn't leave the x-rays out for Jack to look over, at least not from what I remember. So this is something that he holds a piece of power over them that they did not want him to know. No, Ben didn't even want him in there at all. Yeah, right? exactly. He, he's going to tell him later, he's like, ah, oh, man, I didn't want you to see any of that. That's not how I had this whole plan. You ruined the plan. And I love him. Again, you know, as, as much as he might feel, as much as Juliet's trying to do the whole good cop routine with him, Jack very curtly tells her, I don't care about making you feel better. Uh, also, inter- interesting little bit of a white lie for Juliet, right? When she says, uh, I'm not used to death. Well, as a fertility doctor, didn't she have like multiple pregnant women die on the island? So either it's her trying to sound more sympathetic or her saying that like it doesn't get any easier. Oh, I think that, you know, she hasn't seen a lot of like gunshot victims come through her her ward. You know, like I don't think that's been on her purview very often. I mean, I would hope not. <laughs> I don't know how much the others yeah. are exchanging friendly fire. Yeah, Mr. Friendly Fire. Um, but no, it's just a great, it's a great Jack and Juliet scene. I think, uh, stack this against the Sawyer and Kate scene. Which scene do you prefer? The one that we just had with Sawyer and Kate or the one we just had with Jack and Juliet? I like this one. I think it's a little, like, well, it's understandable from a character perspective. I think it's a little frustrating to have Kate go back in the cage. I remember at the time I was pretty miffed that, like, okay, we're finally going to see Kate escape. And then she goes back into the cage. Uh, it's an understandable character choice, but still a little, aggravating because you want to see in some forward momentum in the plot and this moves the plot forward and also is like a big boon to jack's character and also plays upon their relationship where she was the jailer for the first episode and now in the fourth episode he is sort of holding a bit of power as the prisoner himself which i think is an inherently more interesting dynamic Back on the island, Desmond has finished building this lightning rod, uh, and he goes to hang out with Chef Hurley, who's making a fruit salad. And Hurley looks up from his fruit salad and sees the lightning rod, and he says, is that art? Yeah, I'm pretty sure a butterfly flew by, right? And Hurley was regarding uh-huh. it with his hand. <laughs> Uh, is that arsed? Uh, no, it's just an experiment. Uh, he's got a little science project. So maybe that's, the, that's arsed's legacy is he just turned into a bunch of science experiments. Exactly. He like disseminated himself and inserted arsed spores into everybody to be in- interested in <laughs> the science. Arsed spores. Oh God, they're in the, the atmosphere. We're breathing them in. <laughs> the spores. The arsed That's what happens spores. when you, when you explode, uh, you get yeah. disseminated into the air and inevitably breathed oh. in by people. 
Well, you know what they say, Mike, when it rains, it spores <laughs> as it starts to pour buckets down on the island and there's this maybe, huge bolt yeah, of lightning. Yeah, maybe that's something you can include in your Lost 2 island plot is that eventually, like, the arsed cells within everybody ignite mm-hmm. and it, they sort of, everyone becomes an arsed army uh, of zombies to take over the island from Hurley and yeah. Walt and Ben. I don't know that Animal Crossing gets that dangerous. <laughs> you have to like, you have to really like, kind of like imply the yeah, danger. Yeah, wait for the Last of Us patch to come through, mm-hmm. and maybe you could do that. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Uh, but no, the lightning rod catches the lightning. Charlie is safe, and Hurley is like, "All right, my guy can see the future for sure." Hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that uh, Desmond does shows a little bit of shades of lock here. Besides the camera work with him, he obviously knows what's going to happen with the lightning. So he does a bit of like the stop right here and wait for the rain to pour down copiously. <laughs> stop right there. Yeah, uh, so that's what goes on. R.I.P. Uh, five iron. Mm-hmm. The five iron is gone. Uh, the next morning, Ben's waking Sawyer up. Uh, what do you want to say? Like four forty-five? You want to call this? Four, yeah, I would say like at four-ish. first light, probably right. Because otherwise, yeah, if the sun yeah. rises too much, it gets too hot to make this big hike, especially when Ben's wearing his button-down shirt and long pants. It's four oh eight and fifteen seconds in the morning. You have to time it uh, out particularly. Correct. And so they're going to go for a little walk. We're going to have our fourth and final flashback scene of the episode where Bill Duke's like, "You did it." You got him, yes. James. Here's the Treasury Secretary Department agent dude who's like, hey, you got him. We got him. We got that money. So, Here's a bonus. So strange. You're free, So James. strange. So, yeah. This flashback is so whatever. Uh, they, 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 and you could tell because they literally like yachting out of this dude like, thank you for being yes. the prison snitch for me, James. Yes. By the way, you're free now. You're not going to be in jail for any more flashbacks. We're sorry you're we did free. that, everybody. Where are you going to go, Sawyer San Juan Tadeo? Uh, yeah, like, it's just such a strange... Yeah, the whole flashback is just so, so weird. It is a very sweet moment when he says, put the money in, in, in a bank, doesn't matter, make it in Albuquerque, put it in Clementine Phillips' name, and I want it so that she never finds out that it's from me. It's a sweet uh, moment, sweet. but it's also, it sweet. we've seen sweet moments from Sawyer before. So again, it's it's not, it's par for the course with the five iron. It's not nothing that Sawyer is a dad, right? And that's, we've just discovered this, uh, that this is a show where uh, parental issues are so front and center in terms of why people have turned out the way that they've turned out and for Sawyer to find out that he's a father is not a nothing deal I think it is it is dropped upon us in a very casual way yes. um, that it doesn't like make a huge huge impact but this scene of seeing Sawyer um, be a good father if not like you know like a, a highly like emotional or present one um i think he could be a better dad and i'd like to think that the sawyer who leaves the island um may be prepared to make those steps mm. um and i i would really like to think that for sure certainly the clementine who's on my island on animal crossing is a big fan of her father oh, good. uh so things worked did she, out did she there. finally yeah, get her letter dear goo goo gaga yeah, dear Goo Goo Gaga, she got the Goo Goo oh, Gaga well, letter, and well, she's. I know in Animal Crossing, you're able to like suggest uh, catchphrases for mm-hmm. animals. Can you please have your Clementine catchphrase? Be- I don't think Clementine can because Clementine, I don't think that you give like your player Damn characters it. catchphrases. But all of the different animals on the island, uh, I have I have uh, started the process of doling out uh, phrases to, but not all of them. Goo Goo Gaga is definitely still <laughs> capable of being placed on the board. I think we could definitely put it back into style but I, I also wonder my favorite person on the island uh, every time you go up to him he screams what? oh my god that is amazing uh, just like it, sometimes there's like no no rhyme or reason to it he's like you having a good day today what? <laughs> 
he's a big he's a nice he's a super cute blue pig named Hugh, who I like to imagine is Hurley in pig form. I love it. And because the yeah. other Hurley's turning into Titus Welliver, uh when, well, when yeah, this because I think uh Hurley died, uh the smoke monster came back and now he's in Titus Welliver smoke monster mode. And uh, Hurley has been reincarnated as a pig, but he hasn't become awake yet. Mm. He doesn't know that he is Hurley yet. Exactly. He needs that's to. Gonna be he a, needs, that's going to be a, a series finale. He has to touch twist. the Apollo bar, and then he'll realize mm-hmm. all the all the yeah, Hurley memories. Exactly. I, I wonder <laughs> exactly. if there was, you know, if they did have an outright Sawyer flashback before Lafleur. I wonder if it would have been something along the lines of like him surreptitiously tracking Clementine or something. Because yeah, it's it's weird to leave the Sawyer flashbacks off on that note because it is such a seismic part of his life that it does kind of make me question you know we're gonna get everything with frank duckett and that'll obviously inform uh you know what he does out of jail but i I wonder how much this was looming on his mind as he proceeded forward with all this you do wonder you have to wonder you gotta wonder uh sawyer's gonna go up and see the the that he's on this separate island. He's on this secret island. Along the way, he's going to be quoting mice of, of mice and men. He was reading it in jail. Uh, he's disgusted that Ben doesn't know of mice and men. What's the problem? You don't read. Puppies get killed. You'd like it. It's your thing. Yeah, and but it turns uh, out that uh, it's fine. The bunny's fine. The bunny was fine. Uh, we, we, we think unless they this was another bunny ate. But as Ben said, like that's for me to know and you to find out to both Sawyer and yeah. the viewers. That's for me to find out and for you to know. Uh, ben pulls the bunny out. Yeah, he says, hey, come here, come here, come here, come on, come on. Come on, come on, Yeah, and so Sawyer punches Ben in the face. There we go. Uh, the new contender to the to the Ben Linus beatdown counter. Uh, and I think our tradition continues of in uh, sequential chronological <laughs> order uh, the ranking. This is the, the, the bottom of the list so far. It's just the solitary punch to the face from James Sawyer Ford, I think, has to has to be uh, anchoring us at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nothing. It's Ben just takes it and is like, OK, I've had worse done to me. Remember that time I got knocked out by a shelf? Let's keep going. Uh, well, let's keep going and let's conclude the episode with Ben and Sawyer looking out and seeing that they are not on our island. They are on a different island uh and we're gonna be quoting some stuff and it's just a what a time to be alive this is the end of every man for himself you ever been to alcatraz take the tour right now you're standing on a small island roughly twice the size of alcatraz and that over there that's your island one you've come to know and love. I just wanted you to know there's nowhere to run. You did all this just just to keep me in a damn cage. We did all this because the only way to gain a con man's respect is to con him. You're pretty good, Sawyer. We're a lot better. Funny thing is, us telling you about the pacemaker wasn't what kept you in line. It was when I threatened her. You work so hard to make her think you don't care, that you don't need her. But the guy goes nuts if he ain't got nobody. 
You don't make no difference who the guy is. As long as he's with you. I tell you. I tell you, a guy gets too lonely and he gets sick. What are you talking about? It's from Of Mice and Men. Don't you read? Let's get you back to your cage. Mike, my goal is to someday, out of nowhere recite a passage from Watership Down to you and conclude it by saying, it's from Watership Down. Don't you read? Is it so that like we can all shame you for reading Watership Down? Mm. It's just that that moment of Sawyer having power over him has now been distilled across months yes. and months and months. Yes, that's correct. That's this correct. is so this scene like the actual scene is so much fun because I love these two characters and these two characters have also very rarely interacted even when Ben was quote unquote Henry Gale. There was very little time. And I do love the power move. Again, this episode is all about power of uh, Ben really showing Sawyer, like, yeah, you think you're hot shit, but our shit is hotter in a manner of speaking. But I will admit this ending is dulled a little bit by the fact that this is not something that's really followed up on, you know, considering that, and I do, Kate and Sawyer are going to make the escape. And so I, I feel like. Unless I'm I'm not thinking of something, it's it's not really a thread that they follow up on, that this was Ben's way to sort of subjugate Sawyer and get him in line. We don't get much of good prisoner Sawyer from here on out. Not really, no, because he's going to be escaping, uh, you know, very soon from now. Uh, he's not going to be here for much longer, so... Uh, we don't really get a ton of, of, I mean, there's, he's gonna like tell Kate, like, you're not even on our island. And he's like, gonna be like, why are we even bothering to escape? And so they're gonna just have happy, you know, he's like, he's gonna basically be docile, but it's for, you know, literally two episodes maximum at this point. I don't even remember if he's in for the instructions. I don't, yeah, I don't, well, yeah, I don't think he's in, uh, he's not in the cost of living. I think that's, I Sorry, think, I, I think that's all. Jack. So, yeah, maybe it's like an episode for Sawyer to lick his wounds. Because that's the thing. I know that people say, like, thank God. <laughs> this is going to be very hard for him to do that. How does he bend his head down to his chest well, like just that? in another bucket of water and just look away from yeah. Kate. Uh, but, yeah, I think that, you know, as much as people might malign, like, thank God they get out of these, ca- out of these uh, cages at a certain point, it's a really interesting character moment from Sawyer. Because, again, this is a guy who hadn't really been tricked on the island before. The only time before that was Anna Lucia. And this also serves as a great way to really show the might of Benjamin Linus. You know, we saw glimpses of it and what he was able to get Michael to do or the others were able to get Michael to do at the end of season two. But this episode was really like a tour de force from Ben in terms of big flexes. And so to sort of have that relationship get brought about and then not really get acted up on in the next couple episodes feels like a bit of a missed opportunity. Again, I'm not jockeying for more times on Hydra Island necessarily. I just think this is a, a strong scene between two characters that would have been made stronger if this really did fundamentally affect Sawyer, you know, in the near future outside of him being like, why should we even escape? 
Let's get into feedback for this episode. Let's begin with the fact that, Mike, a lot of people had guesses about what your favorite line of all of Lost was coming from this episode, uh, coming out of this episode. And uh, here are a few of them. Uh, Eric Divestein submitted, I bet the Bears never thought of that one as a contender, uh, as well as, no, you have to go through the sternum, the sternum like in the movie. <laughs> Uh, Ben Martell wondered if the, if the line was, should I talk to Benjamin? Uh, Thomas put out, did you kill that bunny? Because it's the only, uh, quote, uh, of the episode that's on IMDb. For shame, IMDb. How dare you leave dear Goo Goo Gaga off of this? Corey got it. Corey wrote in and said, what am I going to write? Dear Goo Goo Gaga, I'm a baby. Yes! So yes, congrats Corey, to Corey for calling you. it out. You got it. You got it. You got it. Uh, Joanne, the Pistons fan, pretty annoyed with Ben. Joanne writes in, I want to slap Ben's smug face when he brags about conning Sawyer. Uh, having con John Locke doesn't make you a con artist, as even Leslie Arson Vincent the dog could con Locke. And furthermore, this is not a con. This is literally a hostage situation. They have physically and psychologically tortured Sawyer and threatened Kate's safety. Yeah, I do think that the definition of con is probably in question uh, as it pertains to how Ben has been treating Sawyer. This seems more like outright abuse yeah and i would also i also wonder why the reveal needed to happen right because if the goal of the pacemaker was to then it was to have him subjugated properly maybe they thought like even if we revealed ourselves he'd still be you know a good prisoner that'd still be a huge huge gamble out of pure rage he could just continue to beat on ben linus after that i'm like you son of a bitch i nearly got killed i nearly got beat up by (laughs) danny pickett to death because I was afraid I was going to die. I mean, if it was a con, it was a con that lasted under 24 hours. Uh, and I guess maybe cons were more so used to like getting some sort of physical object out of them, whether it be money or a good or even a service or something like that. Whereas this is more so like coercing somebody into a very docile position, which we already saw happen with Jack in episode one in a very different way. Uh, the great Stefan Johnson writes in and says, wow, Mike and Josh are fantastic together. Every scene with them was great. I wish we got more of them together. They each bring a unique style that really complement each other. Josh Holloway and Michael Emerson were good, too. <laughs> I, I didn't even realize that, that we have a, yeah, a Josh that? Holloway and Michael Emerson scene. Yeah, isn't that good? Isn't I feel like nice? I, yeah, I'm, I am trying to think of how many times do we see I was about uh, to ask James the same Sawyer question, because I know we asked that about Kate and Ben during mm-hmm. uh, Tale of Two Cities, and... They'll spend some time together in season four when Ben is part of uh, Locke's That's right, because Sawyer's going to go off with him for some time in New Otherton. Uh, But I feel like, obviously, they're going to be separated for most of season five due to just the separate natures of everything. And when things come back together... I can't remember because Sawyer ends up joining Man well, in Black for a while. Well, I think that the final, uh, the final Ben beatdown of Lost, actually, um, unless you want to give points to the tree uh, that that <laughs> oh, level, which I think we we should. I think that goes to Michael for sure. Uh, is Sawyer? Sawyer is going to clock him in the face in the finale. Um, so they have some more moments ahead of themselves, including one in the very final episode of the whole show. Well, this is a great, I guess, introduction. Again, it's weird because these two characters had seen each other beforehand, but this is just such a great 
move where the person who seemingly has had some of the biggest power on the island so far just gets completely dunked on by somebody saying like, yeah, you thought Sawyer was one of the big enemies in Lost? No, 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 sir. I am the big bad. In which then we will see the meme of, you know, uh, him sitting at a church pointing a gun at Sawyer's back only to find out that the man in black is also pointing a gun at at Ben's back. Uh, the great Ben Martell asks, is it art? About the lightning rod. That's a very subjective question. You know, you would <laughs> as his art. Well, you would ask like Desmond did not put it up as an artistic piece, but does that by proxy still make it art? Is intentionality mm. a key part of mm. the art? I don't know. That's a good question. I guess the, the other question is: after the thing got struck by lightning, did they leave it there and have it be mm-hmm. a true art installation? Do you think Desmond was inspired by Hurley's comment and, and decided to yeah. make a gallery in the middle of the camp? Wow, Hurley's Comet uh, is like Haley's Comet? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from a leftover from last week. Uh, we had some questions about how on God's green earth did these men survive the hatch imploding? And Jesse Camacho, the great Jesse Camacho, so many greats who listened to Down the Hatch, uh, offered this explanation. At the beginning of season five, Pierre Chang explains that at the center of the island is a massive amount of electromagnetic energy that may allow Dharma to manipulate time in the incident they accidentally begin to release this energy when the atomic bomb goes off at the very same site in 1977 jack kate sawyer juliet hurley miles Jin, and saeed are all teleported harmlessly back to the present timeline even juliet who had an atomic bomb detonate in her face succumbs only to the injuries she endured by falling down that massive tunnel all of which is to say, I believe something very similar happened in Live Together, Die Alone. Locke, Echo, and Desmond were unharmed in the hatch implosion because they traveled through time to one day in the future because of this same electromagnetic energy. Jesse, I'm buying it. But why was Desmond naked? Yeah. This looked great. I think I, I, think I saw look, someone say something that like, because there was, the ru- there was a rumor apparently at the time that because Desmond's clothes were like synthetic aka from non-natural materials that the electromagnetism dissipated them, which is an... Amazing. I don't know, but from that logic, though, Amazing. if anything non-natural on Desmond is gone, does that mean his fillings are gone? Yeah, his fillings are hurt. Um, what from the Jim Fells music world do you want to discuss? A couple of things. Uh, just lot, lots of Sawyer stuff, obviously. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, like, uh, beating the crap out of someone music that comes in during the picket stuff like when uh mikhail beats up kate and enter seven seven or when Locke beats up mikhail in the man behind the curtain and also we'll hear it again in the ultimate ben beat down in through the looking glass and sawyer's little like vengeance motif that we heard all the way back in outlaws uh finally comes back as ben starts telling him about the pacemaker i guess so it's that uh, I guess it came back around, Josh. Literally, that, that <laughs> it'll come back. Yeah, around. that Sawyer's life is now on the line after he put Frank Duckett's back on the line. The music's there to show oh, it. How about that? How about that? All right, linked in our show notes, uh, as always, from the great Jim Fells. So many greats. Uh, we mentioned the Ben Linus beatdown counter. Uh, just to reset it so that everybody knows. In fifth place, coming in, uh, debuting this week, it's Sawyer punching Ben in the mouth. In fourth place, it's Locke beating up Ben with a crutch. That's from Two for the Road. And three, it's Schrodinger's shelf, where, whether Ben is beating himself or the shelf is beating Ben. Uh, either way, it's a, it's a beatdown that clocks in at third. Second is Saeed beating Ben up in one of them. And first, and still the leader on the board, is Danielle shooting a harpoon <laughs> through Benjamin Linus. I love that we've also called her Danielle. Like, we're on a first-name basis with her instead of Rousseau. Yeah, we got, we've gotten to know her a little bit better, I think. 
Yeah, no? I mean, we'll find we'll find out much more about. I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable. I feel like once we get to know young Danielle, then and I feel like that's mm-hmm. also two distinctly different people. Like Danielle is the one in the expedition in season five, and Rousseau is who we who we currently know. Uh, that feels that feels fine. I'm fine with that. Um, let's talk MVPs, LVPs. I've got three MVPs. Uh, you've got two. You've got three LVPs. I've got two. Uh, I know that we're both simpatico on on our first pick each, which is Jack. So two points for Jack this. Yeah, week. which makes him uh, make up a little bit of ground from getting docked to the first couple. Still, of episodes. he's still at a negative one overall. But this is a good right episode now. for him. He was able to, yes. you know, he got some some uh, some walking time from his cartoons. He's able to like slowly get get one over on Juliet, and he has some key information about somebody. I feel like Jack was sort of in a surprisingly dominant position in this episode, which he definitely hasn't been this season yet. Um, first appearance in season three, uh, we're giving a point to Kate. Uh, I feel like that's the first that's time in a me. while that Kate has got an MVP point. First time in a while that Kate's got an MVP point. Uh, you know, the front runner for season one for so much of it until Saeed got ahead. Uh, and Kate is now at 11 MVP points overall, tied with Jack at 11 MVP points. So the two of them are currently sharing fourth place. Yeah. So we'll see. You know, we- and I'm giving it to her. She gets out of the cage. That's impressive. That's impressive. Uh, and we talked about, you know, how season two was a bit disappointing for Kate. I'll be very intrigued to see where we go in season three with that. Uh, this is her first yeah. point. We're going to get to her first big episode episode a couple of episodes from now and so we'll see how that one holds up in particular i know that we are usually not kind on kate in kate flashback episodes so uh this might be the best we see of her in this first little batch i'm gonna give a point to ben linus you know what criticize him all you want as to whether or not this is a con but considering what he's able to do and especially that like little bonus point one ups final scene with Sawyer, he's able to get a grip on one of the biggest con artists on the island as he sort of shows him I'm the true liar here, which I think is a big move and cements who Ben Linus is as a character to the rest of us. I'm I'm good with that. Um, I am going to give a point to Desmond for using his future powers to save Charlie. Uh, he and to build a lightning rod in such short order and create art uh, potentially, and potentially create art in the fact that he is apparently a gifted uh, golf a golfer golfer. I think we call him golfer. What were right? you going to say, golfist? A golf a golf's person? Nope, golfer makes sense. <laughs> okay, we'll go with golfer, not to be confused with Gawker. Uh, he's very good at that. So, uh, this is a great Desmond episode. I'm going to give Desmond a point. Um, look, we're not going to give Sawyer an LVP point, um, this week. Uh, Josh Holloway, great performance. Um, and, you know, he's very impressive in the prison flashback and his con job. Uh, but the dude gets convinced that he's got a bomb in his chest. And I think that that's not good. For me, it's a bit, it's a big wash. Sort of like, it's a wash. It's sort of what happened two weeks ago, right? Where he like did something great and then got egg on his face. So yeah, it's much like Mm -hmm. the bucket of water splashing all over him. It is a wash. Mm -hmm. So I have three LVP points. Uh, I'm going to give two to Danny Pickett. Just right off the bat, because uh, he is cool. an a-hole this episode. And look, yeah, it makes sense for him to go aggro after his wife dies, And but Sawyer didn't do anything. Uh, so I think he's just a big old jackass in this episode. And I'm giving my third point to Munson, because uh, he got conned. <laughs> he got conned out of $10 million that he would have had uh, had he you know been able to get yeah, out of prison. He's a chump. He's a chump. I agree. I'll, I'll throw one at Munson as well. Uh, and this is the episode where Colleen dies. So, uh, as is not necessarily tradition, but as often happens, uh, Colleen for her death shall receive 
an LVP. Uh, I can't. Re- I can't program. remember how many episodes we've done where like no eight one fivers have gotten LVP points. I'm assuming it's a, hmm. it's a good amount. Yeah, probably. Especially when you have probably. episodes with like Anthony Cooper and Mr. Paik on it and Jason McCormick. None this week. Um, Four point two stars section, Mike. Um, I gave the Glass Ballerina a three, and I think Every Man for Himself is probably as good of an episode. Mm. I'm going to give it a three as well. Uh, I was going to try and see, like, can I can I tip it one way or the other? Is it slightly better, slightly worse? I think that they're probably about the exact same level of Nothing Burger for me. I think that there's maybe a little bit more to Every Man for Himself uh, for the Sawyer arc. Uh, we get some Desmond time travel stuff, so that's fun. Um, but I don't know that it's like marginally better than the glass ballerina. I, th- I think that they are about the same. I think that we are at currently at like a level with the show, uh, where things are sort of, you know, hitting at this level right now. Yeah. So I'm going to go a little bit above you, which I feel like is a rarity in our, in our ratings here. I'm going to give it a 3.2, which tops out the scale of, um, you know, my good episode of Lost section of my rubric, where it's more good than bad, but not a lot of outstanding moments. Cause I do agree that I think this has more to it from a subject perspective than the glass ballerina. As I said before, I think we move the chains forward with, Jack as a prisoner, even with Sawyer as a character a bit, and we find out a bit more of just about how malevolent and Machiavellian Ben Linus can be. The flashback is just uh, so floopy. It's fine. It's but fine. it's so it's inessential. Fine. It's so, yeah, so totally. inessential. Except for the fact that we find out that Sawyer has a daughter. They make nothing out of his time in prison, which could have been a, a really, really interesting way to go. If the con man's in prison, what's going to happen? Oh, he cons his way out of prison, sort of. They, they, you could tell they, I think they were really just like phoning it in, needed some sort of Sawyer plot to fill out this episode. And so they wrote something here. But I thought the stuff on the island was interestingly done, at least more well done than the glass ballerina. I sort of had this compared to like everybody hates Hugo, where again, the, the flashback is sort of like, and nothing to do with and the on island stuff has interesting character moments with like a really really good ending and i gave that a 3.1 and i like this slightly better than everybody hates hugo so that ultimately gets a 3.2 and the audience once again say this again if you haven't heard it the past three weeks josh is all over the map with every man for himself not as much as further instructions but they basically range from like the high twos to even a couple of high threes. And that is going to average out to a 3.3 overall. So with your 3.0, my 3.2, their 3.3, that averages out to a 3.16. But Josh, I don't know if this is a, a low bar to clear, but this is currently the second best episode of season <laughs> three so far. Yeah, it won't stay this way. No, nope, not stay this even way, as soon as next week. Look, I, I think that the four we've talked to, uh, talked through so far, uh, a tale of two cities will stay pretty high. It's a three point eight three, um, but the the, th- the other three that we've talked about since, um, I think, are going to remain. Um, you know, they're going to be at the bottom of the barrel. I think. I think that there there are other episodes coming up this season that will contend with it. Um, but I I think that this will be uh, lower tier stuff by the time we are through. With season three, um, we are going to get into more lost discussion in just a little while, in just a couple of days. An extra podcast coming your way this week before we resume our season three conversation proper. It's the one year anniversary of Down the Hatch. We are going to take a moment to pat ourselves on the back. Not like we don't do that every week anyway. 
Um, but we're really going to do that this time. It's just that is the podcast. It's just self-congratulatory bullshit. Uh, so if that sounds fun to you, show up. And if not, skip it. Um, but we're really excited about it. I think uh, it's crazy that we've done this uh, every every week for a year. Uh, is is insane. It is off the wall bananas. We've been here every week, not to mention the bonus podcast we've done between you know the Lindelof to RPG podcast, the two book club podcasts, uh, frick, freaking DJ Dom exposed party. So. We're going to take a minute we'll to, 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 to yeah. like lavish in it. You know what? Basically, yeah, this so. is going to be like a clip show. Uh, we're going to talk about some moments that you all picked out as highlights or weird lights from the previous however many episodes that we've done. It's I'd say it's it's, it's been nearing probably what it's it's got to be at least 100 hours. Uh, if, oh, if not more. Easy, easy, easily. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that is uh Gosh, I don't want to do the math right now. Someone will have done the math, uh, or we will have done the math by the time of that podcast. Uh, it's going to be many hours yeah. consumed by your ears if you've listened to everything and uh, that many more hours taken off of Mike's life and my <laughs> life of talking about but, uh, all this stuff. But it's a good thing, you know? You're taking... Yeah, it's every, good. It's listen, good. every it's moment good. takes something off our lives, but you want to spend it doing either good stuff or bad stuff, whether it means reading of mice and men or disturbing bunnies by going, hoppity hop, come on, come on, come on, hey, 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 hey. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, hey, 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 All right, so we've got, uh, we've got some business to take care of with that one-year anniversary show, and then we'll be back with the cost of living, the, the swan song, the swan station oh song for Mr. Echo. I- I'm excited up. for that one because I think that, you know, we've hit a mad to not so good streak of episodes after A Tale of Two Cities. But I think the cost of living is regarded as this and The Tale of Two Cities are going to be the two peaks in some of the valleys we're hitting here. Say what you want to about the weirdness of Mr. Echo dying in episode five of season three. Josh, I know you've talked a lot about it and I'm sure we're going to relitigate it, but it's a great episode. I am very very excited to send off Mr. Echo to continue the stuff on Hydra Island where Juliet goes full love actually here. Like there's, there's going to be a lot of great stuff coming up. I think it's a controversial episode. So we'll talk about why as well. Um, but I'm really pumped to talk about it. Uh, there's, there's a lot in there that I've, I've been excited to get into for a very long time. So this is a shorter podcast this week, uh, clocking in under two hours, but I think that we're going to have a long one on cost of living. So get your feedback in. You still got plenty of time for that. We are back on track with your normally scheduled programming, starting with cost of living coming to your podcast feed on a Friday, August 21st. Uh, send that feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Tweet at us at postshowrecaps, at Round Howard, at a Mike Bloom type. Subscribe to the podcast if you've not done so already. Check out everything we've got going on on Post Show mm. Recaps. There's a couple of things that are about to be popping up here uh, that I think popping might up. catch your ear. Uh, in addition to the Everything is Super podcast, the Marvel rewatch that we're doing, uh, a couple of other pop- podcasts that are popping up pretty soon. Uh, we will wait until those podcasts are in your feed before we shout them out directly. Uh, but it's going to be going to be fun stuff. We're going to have a lot going on here on the podcast for the next little while. Uh, anything else, Mike? I don't think so. You know, this is a quick turn around i'm ready to have our own little flashback and pontificate yes. before we move forward into you know uh the shape of things to come in a manner of speaking with the death of mr echo but a lot of other things being brought to life as josh the other big piece of news is we are over halfway through what some consider the worst streak of episodes in lost history yeah thank god it's it's been an interesting it's been interesting to talk about no no matter what you say about the quality of episodes it's led to some very fruitful discussions and look it has my favorite line of all of lost in there can it really be that bad or is it like a red delicious apple that you throw on the floor 
how bad can that be? Yeah, is, it, is it red apple delicious trash or is it like actually uh, delicious? Uh, you you be the judge. Um, all right, Mike. Well, then that's going to do it. Uh, we did it. Look at this. this a, what a, a plum job done by both it, of us. Is this an active kill or are we going to be returning to every man for himself very often or we think it's just going to it's going to lie I think there? It's tough to figure out what the active kill is before. Uh, you know, while the while the the body is still bloodied. Plus, we have to re- realize mm. if this is art, because if this podcast is indeed art, then we will be re- revisiting it many, many times. I have an idea of how to make this art. You yeah. ready? Close out the episode by playing Ben screaming at the bunny rather than outro music. All right, I got that. Let's uh, let's, let's have Benjamin Linus this episode uh, everybody hippity hops away from their podcast feed to come back in time for our one year anniversary what the hell hey hey come on hey move Let's move. Hey, come on, come on, come on, what come are you on. Doing? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's move it, let's move it, let's move it. Hippity hop, hippity hop, hippity hop. Let's move it, let's What's move it. Let's move it. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on.